Our message tonight is wrestling with God. And we pick it up in verse 22 with this background. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he, that is the man, touched the socket of his hip, Jacob's hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he, the one who wrestled with, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's Jacob. That's what he said. So he said in response to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Literally, face to face with God. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is in the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. The text interprets itself that Jacob wrestled with God on this night. Jacob wrestled with God. Literally, now we know that we can wrestle with God in our lives. When Paul the Apostle was going to persecute the Christians as Saul of Tarsus in Damascus, when he was struck down by Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus said, it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? That's a form of wrestling with God, just fighting God. Throughout the Bible, we see men and women who wrestle with things, and then they gave it to the Lord. We think of Hannah in the book of Samuel, where she felt great shame that she couldn't produce children, and it was something that just overwhelmed her to where there's a point where by herself in the sanctuary, she poured out her heart to the Lord, and Eli the priest thought she was drunk, but she just poured out her heart to the Lord in great sorrow and anguish, And she said to the Lord, whatever opens the womb, I'll give to you. If you give me a child, he'll be yours. And of course, God answered that prayer and gave her Samuel, who became Samuel the prophet. And then he gave her many more children as well. But there in that sanctuary, one-on-one with the Lord, she wrestled with God and gave the Lord everything of who she was and surrendered completely. And then God gave her the son that became one of the greatest prophets of all time, who anointed King David, who paves the way for Jesus, the Messiah, to come. It all just goes right through this genealogy of Abraham, just keeps going through a 2,000-year timeline to get to Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary there in Bethlehem. So many records in the Bible of men and women wrestling with God. And we should consider that for all the people that ever wrestle with God, There are many people who don't seem to wrestle with God at all. And there's a bit of a mystery to that. If you find yourself in a wrestling match with the Lord, like wrestling with things in your heart, why did you allow this to happen? What's the meaning of this? What's the purpose? Thank God that you are wrestling with God. Because whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And wrestling with God is part of the human experience, I believe, for every soul that ever lives that is redeemed by the Lord for the purposes of the Lord. There's a wrestling that brings us to the end of ourselves 
to a place where we're broken before the Lord. Now, we might wrestle with God more than once. We might wrestle with God in how we let go of broken dreams and how we let go of our self-righteousness or our sin and our licentiousness. And we just said, I've had enough. It's just enough. And one, you'd only go to Harvest Crusade to see people coming forward who have wrestled with God for years and are broken that night. And like a hip socket out of place, they go forward to Anaheim Stadium and they say, you know, a new name, a new nature this night. And they have surrendered to the Lord. It's good to have wrestled with the Lord. It's good to wrestle with the Lord in a sense because we come upon many things in our journey. We might wrestle with God for salvation. We might wrestle with God in surrender to a calling in ministry. You might wrestle with God once or twice in your life, it seems, in experiences of life. Or you might wrestle with God through many things that serve different purposes in the kingdom. But all the wrestlings of God between you and him is to bring us to salvation and redemption and to bring us to fruition of the purpose of our life for the redeemed. For many are called and few are chosen. And for those who are called are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so that wrestling is all part of the process to fulfill our life, our very existence in this universe, this very life that's referred to as a vapor. It's just a vapor. That wrestling is so critical. And I can look around this room, and I know some of your stories with wrestling with God. To really wrestle with God. When you read about great women and great men of the Lord used mightily, the Hudson Taylors, the Amy Carmichael, oh, there is great wrestlings with God. To be a wrestler with God is part of the journey for the children of God, I believe. And I want to point out some very insightful things from this text tonight as we think about the wrestling matches that we might have with the Lord. The man is a capital M. It's clearly the Lord. So we've established that. And wrestling with God, one thing that you find, you see here in verse 24, is then Jacob was left alone. When you wrestle with God, it's you and the Lord one-on-one. Have you ever noticed that? Now, you might be in a situation where you're all by yourself and you're crying out to God for mercy before you know the Lord, with the Lord. You might be in a terrifying situation serving the Lord and there's things that have been unresolved in your heart with the Lord and there's a deep work going on and to use a dentistry term, it's not a cavity, it's a root canal. It's got to go really deep and there's something going on really deep there that God's doing. But wrestling with God is one-on-one and since all things are by Christ and for Christ, and since in him all things consist and are held together, ultimately, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, and he's our good shepherd, and we never piggyback our faith. We can be blessed by someone else's faith that came before us. We can be blessed by someone else's faith beside us, and we can be blessed by someone else's faith right next to us on our deathbed. But in the end, we go solo. We almost breathe our last and step into eternity and stand before the Lord individually. And that's the wrestling with God. So it only stands to reason through all the things that preceded Jacob's life at this time, all the things he had done, stealing the birthright. He did want it, and Esau couldn't care less. It's like an estate. Things that, things that really matter and things that don't to people, it's amazing to me. 
Jacob esteemed the birthright. Esau did not. Stealing the blessing, and he got the blessing. But it was already his anyways. It was his blessing. God made that clear before he was born. He stole the birthright from his brother. He got the blessing from his father. But on this night, through wrestling with God, he's going to get the blessing directly from God. But he's all alone. Oh, he's got wives. (laughs) Multiple wives. And who would want multiple husbands and who would want multiple wives? And he's got this family and all these kids. And he's got a plan. And he's expecting the worst case scenario. He's the ultimate prepper, to use that term. If it goes way south, I'll only lose 50% of the people I love. It wasn't, about, it wasn't about his assets either. See, because he sent all the donkeys, the camels. I, you know, for sure, there's no doubt at this time, we need to understand, even from the previous chapters, Jacob is not about the money. He's about life, people, faith, the blessings. His is a bigger picture, God of the universe. His is not about petty little financial things because he absorbed the loss for 20 years working for his father-in-law. And when he told his father-in-law, when I was in the cold and the freezing of the night and the heat of the day and the, 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 the wild animals ate the, the animals and, and the, the sheep and the goats and when, they were, when they died in stillborn, I absorbed it all. He learned by being a giver, it was never about the money, that God was a provider. And so he was not caught up with money. He was not a a tit-for-tat type of person with finances or anything like that. He was frugal, he was wise, he had abundance, and in the end, having just passed Laban and facing Esau, he's like, man, just give it all to Esau. It's not about the money. It's about the people I love and about the things that God has for me, and he told me to go back to the promised land. I just built an altar and did a sacrifice for the Lord there at Mount Gilead, and the angels are here waiting for me, Give, him, give Esau everything. It doesn't matter. Give him everything. Let him take everything. It doesn't matter. I know I got the blessings. It doesn't, it's not about the camels and the sheep and the goats. Just let him have it all. He said it in waves, like these big offerings, like huge checks coming electronically. Here's the first one. Here's the second one. Here's the third one. I just want to come back to the land in peace and have peace with you and fulfill the next chapter that God has on my life in this place. Because Jacob certainly knew that the blessings was not about what he owned, but who he served and who was working in his life and the destiny of the calling of his life with the Lord. He was all alone. He split up those families. The kids must have been very difficult to do because surely he loved them all. And there he's all by himself. This defining moment, this apex, this high tide, high water mark of his life. He is all by himself facing the fear, having just put a fear behind him with Laban, he's facing the fear of his brother Esau coming. He's poured out his heart to the Lord for the first time we saw tonight that he prayed to the Lord. We know God spoke to him multiple times, directly and in dreams, but we never read of Jacob praying to the Lord before this chapter. Oh God of my father Abraham and Isaac, who promised me, you said, and when he prayed to the Lord, On this timeline, he simply quoted what the Lord had already promised him. He's had the sacrifice. He's under a sacrifice. He's cast his cares upon the Lord. He's all by himself, and he's all alone. Now, every generation has busyness. There's always things to do, and there's always things that distract us. But there's a lot to be said for being all alone, isn't there? There's a lot to be said 
The Bible talks about being still and know that I'm God. The Bible, David talks about meditating on the Lord when he's alone at night, thinking about the Lord in the morning when he's alone. Jesus got away early in the morning to spend time with the Father alone. We say alone time or devotion time with the Lord. When you say devotion time with the Lord, we don't picture two people together. I mean, you might say we had a family devotion. We had a couple's devotion. But if I say to you, my devotion time with the Lord, you don't picture me with the family. You picture me by myself with my Bible open, praying and writing notes about what God's speaking to me. There's a lot to be said for that alone time, making that alone time for the Lord. The world would call it reflective time, but some people call it meditative time. And the Bible talks about meditating or musing or considering the scriptures and thinking about them. That's, that's an alone thing. But the wrestling with God is more like events that worked a certain way that suddenly you find yourself, that sense of mortality, that sense of like in this whole universe with billions of stars and millions of galaxies, these supernovas and all these things, it all focuses on planet Earth because this is where God sent his son to redeem the curse of sin that affects the entire universe from this planet and the redemption for the universe comes from this planet. So all those billions of things out there that God calls them names and holds them in the span of his hands revolves around this planet and the hairs on our head. And it's as if when you're alone with God, wrestling with God, you might as well be in outer space in a little space capsule by yourself. They say space is scarily quiet. And there's times you're alone. And again, it might be bringing you to a brokenness to be saved. But the fullest application of most of us tonight would be a brokenness for the next chapter, the growth, what he wants to do, of working in our life. When I was in Russia, and I spent time with Dave Markey there in Siberia, in Salikard, he told me a story that was absolutely just terrifying. As I mentioned, most of the time I was in Salikard, it was below zero. It was anywhere like nine below, 17 below. You get used to it, actually, and everyone's functioning. It's a city of 80,000 people, commerce, college, industry. People just, you just do what you do when you live somewhere like that. But his vision and ministry is to reach these, as many of you know, these um, indigenous ethnic people. They look Asiatic. They look somewhat like Eskimos as well, their facial features. They've been there for hundreds of years. They fled the Mongols back in the day, Genghis Khan and all that stuff, and they moved north. And they followed the reindeer tribes, and they fished in the river and all these sorts of things. They have their own dialects, the different tribal dialects, not just, you think, wouldn't it be great if all the tribes spoke the same dialect? That'd make it easier, but not so. They even have subdivisions of their dialects. So he's fluent in Russian, and he, he went to Moorhead State University, went to a Christian college in Kentucky, and then played basketball at Moorhead State, and he's, he's from Indiana. He's a marquee. That's what he is. This is, this is all his, they're all athletes. They're, they're, Dad went, you know, to school in Indiana, was a farmer. It's like they're, they're from Indiana. They're a Midwest family. But God called him and his wife to Siberia to the ministry that they have, and his wife's amazing too. But in the midst of those ministries that he's been there for a couple of years and all the loopholes with the Russian government and all these things he has to go through, and he's there as a basketball coach. That's how he's there with his indefinite stay. But he shared a story with me where they go out to these people and they take the snowmobiles. That's, that's how they get around. And 
I mentioned almost everyone dies out there. They die one way or another. They die falling through ice. They die from exposure to the weather. The, the lifespan is much shorter in this part of the world just to the extreme weather and the various things that go with it and lack of proper health care in some cases, right? I mean, it's like, it's Siberia. So he's there, and he's on a sled in a whiteout going toward the Ural Mountains, which is like the Rocky Mountains for America. The Ural separate Europe and Asia. Massive mountain chain, just like the Rockies. And they're going to a certain place to find, you know, be these certain people following the reindeer. And it's a complete whiteout. He's on the sled with the supplies. Bang. The, the, the cable snaps, and the guys on the snowmobile don't even know he's there. They don't even know it's broken. And it stops, and he's laying on the back of this sled with some gear, no GPS, in a whiteout in the middle of Siberia. He's got children just like you have children, young children, beautiful children. And he, you know, he built the house from YouTube. I told this story. He figured out how to build a house by YouTube, and they built their house. But he told me he laid out there in a whiteout on the back of that sled for over an hour thinking, this is it. This is the end. This is the end. I mean, he's a couple hundred miles from Salicard. He's nowhere near anybody or anything. He's in a whiteout on the back of a sled all by himself with the Lord. And the track of the snowmobile is filled in through the whiteout. If you've ever been in a whiteout, it's terrifying. I almost died in one in Idaho 18 years ago. It's terrifying. And he just thought, this is it. And you know, he just, it was him and the Lord. And he shared with me that it was part of that whole conviction, like, you know what? God, I'm content in you. And I don't understand what's going on, but I know you got this. And if this is the end, it's been a great journey. And he surrendered his life in a new way to the Lord. And against all odds, those guys realized 40 minutes later that they didn't have the, the sled, the gear. And they went back looking and like finding a needle in a haystack. They found Dave Markey on the back of that sled waiting for him. He told me he was never so happy to see a snowmobile in his life. Needless to say. But he was wrestling with God. He was all alone in a whiteout in Siberia. Thinking about his calling, his purpose, his marriage, his children, his faith, his trust, his dad who gave his life for Ukraine his mom, who's a widow, his special needs sister, his siblings that walk with the Lord and what they're doing in different parts of life. He just, it, all, it was all there, all alone. And with greater fervency and greater purpose, he came back from that journey. Lord, I'm yours and whatever you got. How about Hudson Taylor on the ship when it's going down on the journey to uh, the Lemuel, on the journey to China? They all thought they are going to die. Another ship did go down, lost everybody. They came into harbor. I just, when you're tossed in the South China Sea, there, oh yeah, there might be 20 people on the ship or in your group and another 10 crew or 20 crew. But man, when you all know you're going down, like Paul on the ship in the Adriatic, and they're going down in the book of Acts, 285 people, you might as well be alone. Your plane's going down. You might hear people screaming, but you're, you're alone. Don't resist God boxing you in to be alone. Because there's things that he wants to do in our life when we're all alone. I think for my own life, 
when the doctors on January 1st, 1989, looked at my wife and I and said, this, your son, this baby's dead. It was all shock. But what I always remember most about that night was the fear that I could lose Jennifer because they definitely instilled that in me right away. But I went down in the cafeteria of UCSD Medical Center. You know, in a hospital cafeteria, is pretty active at four in the afternoon, but at four in the morning, there was nobody there. I'll never forget it. It's as if it's like I, can, I have it all in my mind. I can just tap the file. I was all alone in that cafeteria, just me and the Lord. What most people don't know, Jennifer certainly knows it, I was plotting my exit from ministry at that time. I'd given a year. Sunriders, Calvary Chapel Vista. I'm like, this is not for me. <laughs> I, saw, I signed up to lead, not to be crucified. Like, I'd done one year of ministry. I'm like, I'm putting in for a transfer. I'm looking for a job with Billabong or whoever. But <laughs> I can't do this. And in my heart, in the deepest recesses, I was plotting this whole plan to get out of ministry. But you know when you're alone at four in the morning in a hospital and your son is going to be born dead, you suddenly have perspective on things that matter and things that don't. And you're wrestling with God. Two days later, holding him, committing him to the Lord. God, you're the king. Taking down the baby room. God, you're the king. Casting his remains there at Army Navy Academy in the ocean with my wife. God, you're the king. So what would you have me do? And every time I feel discouraged in ministry, I just go back to those things I learned wrestling with God January 1st and 2nd and the first two weeks of the year in 1989. You know what makes it extra hard with my mom passing? She always sent us a card. The only person. She knew. My mom died alone. I'd redo that week. I would definitely redo Christmas Day, the day after Christmas, and the day, you know, my mom went in on Christmas Day, got out of the hospital, went to Mass and took communion, and then just imploded within internal bleeding. Went back to the emergency room on the Friday, because remember, Christmas was a Wednesday. So she went home Thursday, went to Mass, and then her body just completely broke down Friday, went back to the hospital, and she faced it that last 24 hours all by herself. And I kicked myself for not being there, except I think, you know what, God? You had a plan with my mom. In her last 24 hours, that was you and her, alone, wrestling with God. Alone. We don't come on the mat with God, with friends. The church boys from Calvary don't bring all their friends from different weight classes, and you get out there with Servite, and you got everybody. No, it's you and the Lord. And it's all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan in Jacob's life. It's all part of the plan in our life. I mean, there's Jacob by himself, and all of a sudden, there's this man like... Now, my favorite wrestler in the world is Jake Harmon from Calvary Chapel. And Jake Harmon's like, a big burly guy, and his ears are mangled, you know, and he's always, like, trying to do things. I'm like, Jake, it hurts. Stop, you know? And, you know, wrestlers do stuff like that, you know? And it's like, can you imagine being by yourself, and you're facing eternity, and you're facing all your fears, and suddenly, 
Here he is, the Lord. Is it a theophany? Is it appearance of Christ? Is it an angel of the Lord? Now, we're told no man can see God and live, but Jacob says, I've seen the Lord. So it's obviously Jesus or an angel representing the Lord. Either way, do you want to wrestle with an angel? But the amazing thing is Jacob prevailed in the wrestling match. We see that. But he was alone. He's so alone and said, like, oh, God, do you hear me? And all of a sudden, like, here's this man. It's like, it's the son of man. It's like Joshua when he's going to conquer Jericho. And he's like, the command of the Lord comes before him. He's like, are you for us or against us? And no, but it's the command of the Lord's army. I've now come. And Joshua falls on his face, wrestling with God, submitting to God's plan. You're going to march seven times, do it this way. But we also see in wrestling with God, the key element that comes from wrestling with God, the key objective to be accomplished in wrestling with God, woman or man, young or old, is found in verse 26, where God says, let me go for the day breaks. Now, that's like when you wrestle with your grandkids. Like, I wrestle with uh, Velzy. Like, wrestling, Velzy loves to wrestle with me. He sees me, he's like, he's like I chew on his, on his calf, and I grab his feet, you know, and... And, uh, and like, you know, wrestling, it's like, but he, he, he thinks he's strong. You know, he just, he, he kind of grinds into me, you know. And it's like, I'm obviously the superior power in wrestling with a one-year-old, <laughs> right? Okay, I think we can establish that. The Lord's always a superior power in wrestling with any human being. That goes without saying. But yet, Jacob's like winning. Like, like a dad wrestling with his son. Oh, you, you got me, Timmy. You got me, Luke. Oh, 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 okay, uncle, uncle. Like, you know, ta- I'm tapping out for you. But you really know that the father is the stronger or the mother is the stronger. And yet, it'd be like me saying to to Velzy, Velzy, let me go, let me go. (laughs) But then Velzy would say, not until you bless me. When you wrestle with God, there is one key objective. You come out of it with the blessing. You cry out for that blessing, whatever it's meant to be. And you receive that blessing, and I would say you claim that blessing, you receive it, and you apply it, and you go forward with it for the rest of your life. Because when the, when the angel of the Lord, when God himself wrestles with you at Peniel, at the defining moment of your life, and you're all alone, and suddenly it's you and the Lord, and all time and space stands still, and you might as well be on, in another galaxy, and God's wrestling with you, and you're wrestling, you're wrestling with men, and you've wrestled with men, and Laban, and your brother, and all these other people, and you've got, you can go all night, and then, and then you realize, like, you're winning, but you're realizing the way you really win is not by continuing to strive, but to surrender, and you receive the blessing. All those plans that Jacob had, all the wit and wisdom to organize things and get the bowl, bowl of beans for the birthright, trick dad, get this, do this, Laban, absorb it. He burned me for seven years. And just all these different plans and the fleeing and the rent, all these different things. And here's just like this wrestling match. And he, and he says, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And the blessings that Jacob, as I mentioned earlier, was after were not the blessings of the temporal, but the blessings of the eternal. The blessings of the kingdom, the blessings that were promised to Abraham, the blessings that were promised to his father Isaac, the blessings that are transferred to him, the blessings that would go to his 12 sons becoming the tribes of Israel, the blessings that would run through Judah to the house of David, 
all that Jesus Christ come into the world to bless the world. For in him, all nations will be blessed. And the blessing of Jesus Christ coming through the nation of Israel and the line of Judah and the house of David through the Virgin Mary is not the blessings to establish a kingdom that conquers Rome and the world or the blessings of all these temporal things that get left behind and disputed over when people are gone. The blessings of the angel of God wrestling with Jacob are the blessings of the kingdom, the blessings of the promises. And I'm not letting go till you bless me. And when you wrestle with God in a hospital cafeteria at 4 a.m., on the back of a sled in a whiteout in Siberia, in the open ocean, in a plane that's landing without landing gears, like my in-laws just three weeks ago in Vero Beach. Small Cessna, landing gears don't come down. I think you'd be thinking about life. That trip to Jacksonville to teach at that church took on a whole new meaning. Oh, the Insta posts were all up there. Here's, the, here's flying in the Cessna, posting it, flying over Vero Beach, and suddenly we get the prayers. This plane has no landing gears. You rethink everything. There might be four of you on that plane, but you might as well be alone when you're landing without landing gears. And you get the blessing. You come off that plane that skidded all the way down the runway at Fort Pierce Airport. You come off that plane and you walk off that plane with the blessings. The blessings of deeper, stronger, farther, greater with the Lord Jesus Christ for time and for eternity. When you wrestle with God, oh God, please don't let this plane crash. Oh God, Nate, oh the boys, what are they going to do? Shane, oh God, the daughter-in-laws, I haven't seen any grandkids. All the things you'd be thinking if you're Christy Gallagher in that plane. Send out the prayer request. We're all praying. You guys, some of you got those prayer requests. They came fast and furious. Next thing you know, we're posting stuff like the emergency landing, fire crews. Greg, Greg McEwen, the fireman, goes, perfectly executed, you know, like, because he did fire crew safety at John Wayne Airport. You know, I'm like, thank you, Greg. You know, your professional opinion. I appreciate that. Uh, but you, 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 you got to walk away from that. You can't be the same. You cannot be the same when you walk away from that Cessna three weeks ago. And the things that might frustrate you, no one will buy our house, or no one's got grandkids yet, or whatever, they mean nothing. Just let it go and walk away. Get back on that snowmobile hooked up properly with a greater sense of the blessings of what life is really about for time and eternity. Get more of the Spirit. Get more of the Word. Get more of the power and go after it. I don't think I told you this, but when I was in Russia and I went to the monastery from the Russian Orthodox Church in the 1200s next to the Kremlin, not the Moscow Kremlin, but Kremlin means fortress, the Kremlin there on the Volga River. And they dealt with the Mongols, they dealt with the Finns and all these kingdoms that tried to conquer them from the north and stuff. But I thought of those priests, and there were things in there that had been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I thought, if, if I lived 600 years ago, and I'm Russian, I'm one of these guys, man. I'm a priest, I'm one of these guys. And they had the holy water there for drinking. And a grown-up Catholic, he would never drink the holy water. By the way, St. Francis even says at the door, do not drink the holy water. If you're at the memorial, you might have caught that on the way out. Just don't drink holy water. I would double dip it, but I'd never drink it. But there in the monastery, they got the water. And, you know, the Russian Orthodox is very similar to Catholics without the Pope, if you will, and that kind of stuff. And uh, 
So there's a holy water, and they have cups for the holy water, and it says, receive the blessing. I mean, I grabbed the water, I filled it up, and I, I, I tapped it out, and I put it down, and I just prayed a prayer for baptism of the Holy Spirit for all of you, for all of Russia, for the church, for the kingdom, and all the power and the glory. Because I want to get the blessings. I thought, I may never be here again. I'm on the Volga River in this monastery that has seen so much come and go. All the funerals, the deaths, the heartaches, the marriages, the dreams, the baby dedications, and whatever. I'm here. I'm part of this. I'm drinking the water. You wrestle with God. You come away with all the blessings and all the lessons he wants to teach you from that situation. And the last thing is, you got to be different. The Lord said to him, what is your name? Of course, God knows his name, right? You're like, what is your name? Before I formed in the womb, I knew you. He's like, what is your name? Jacob. It's Jacob. He says, no longer will your name be Jacob. Your name will be Israel which means prince of God. Now, we know that Jacob's name means heel grabber because he grabbed his brother's heel coming out as twins. He literally grabbed the heel. And even Esau said, boy, he's the perfect name. He stole my birthright. He stole the blessing. Rightly named heel grabber is he. But after 20 years with Laban and now wrestling with the Lord, the sacrifice of the Lord, the confirmation of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, all these things, greeting him in the promised land. Esau come with 400 soldiers, wrestling with God all night. What is your name? Verse 27, he says, Jacob, heel grabber. And then the Lord said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, prince of God. For you have struggled with God and men and have prevailed. I've been saying this about Jacob. There's a lot to be said about Jacob just for his passion and his desire to get all that God had for him. He wanted all of it. I think so often we settle for less than it, but he wanted all of it. And he dealt with contention. He dealt with difficult things, and he faced them. But God says, you know, heel grabber, you've wrestled with men and God. But from now on, you're going to be called prince of God. And that's an elevation. That's an upgrade. It's like Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. We get these upgrades in the Bible. Simon to Peter, you know, you're Simon for now and you'll be called Peter, Petros, Rock. See, the wrestling with God is alone. The wrestling with God is to get the blessing. And the wrestling with God is to never be the same. And in this case, it's a new name. Never the same. It's a new name. It's a new name. No longer will your wives or your kids or your grandkids say, there's Grandpa, the heel grabber. They'll say, there is Grandpa, Prince of God. There's Great Grandpa, Prince of God. There's my husband, heel grabber. No, there's my husband, Prince of God. And it's not your husband saying, hey, honey, from now on, don't call me heel grabber. Call me Prince of God. Is God saying, hey, call your husband Prince of God because he's not heel grabber anymore. He's Prince of God. I've changed him. I pinned him when he thought he was pinning me. He cried for the blessings. I gave him the blessings. And now he has a new name because he has a new nature and he's not the same. And that's a testimony, isn't it? Isn't that what a testimony is? I was this. 
I encountered the Lord, I became that, and this is what God's done in my life. That's a great glory, Harvest Crusade testimony. This is what my life was like before Christ. This is how I came to Christ, my wrestling with God. This is my life after Christ. New name. For if anyone be in Christ, a new creation, all things have passed away. And Saul, Saul, it's hard to kick against the goads, becomes Paul the Apostle. Don't call me Saul, call me Paul. I am no longer the persecutor, but now I'm the persecuted. I'm no longer fighting against Christ. I'm standing for Christ and fighting the good fight for Christ as well. Wrestling with God. Left alone with God for the purposes of God in our lives. It's you and the Lord. Surrounded by all those people in your last day. Even if I've been by my mom's side, she still has to transcend that flying solo. Just like I will. Just like you will. Get the blessing and get the transformation. Do not come away from the mat with the living God and be the same person that stepped onto the mat. Amen? Do not come away from the mat of wrestling with God being the same woman that went out on that mat. You must be different. You must get the name change. You must be a better version of who you're meant to be through the blessings and the promises of God applied to your life. The women, the men, the young, the old. Because all that wrestling with God is to bring us to salvation, to redemption, and to bring us to greater fruit and greater growth in all things that God has for our life. When my mom came back from the dead two years ago, when they read her her last rites, the priest at Tri-City Hospital, fourth floor. She was a goner, and she's saying, I thirst, I thirst, I thirst. It was like Jesus on the cross in the middle of the night. I'll never forget it. And the doctor said, she's not going to make it another 24 hours. Told my brother she's going to pass. I went home to her house, came back in the morning. She's wide awake, says, it's Tuesday. You've got a Bible study tonight, and my trash bill's late. And the priest just left. He read me my last rites. He didn't do a good job. But he needs practice. We all do. Now go home and teach the Bible study tonight. And I'll go pay my trash bill. And my mom came back from wrestling with God for the two best years of her life that I've ever seen. My mom was a completely different person when she came back from the grave two years ago. Completely different. And I'm so glad I was a part of all the conversations that, of what God did in her life. Seeing how much she loved my dad how God kept her alive to, to make things right with my dad, who she had divorced many years before, but always still friends, to show kindness to my dad, to receive forgiveness, to show forgiveness. My mom was not the same. That's the legacy of my mom's last two years. I certainly want to be the legacy that comes from my life over the last few weeks of what I've been through and all the things that I face in the future and all the things that you face in the future. Because I don't think we're done wrestling with God. We still have many... Bridges, rivers, boards to cross.